Hey, my friends. Here we go. I love being with you, and uh, I love going through the Psalms, so this is a good combo. This is a good Sunday. And the air conditioner is not on right now, so I'll have to speak real crazy loud right now. We're going to hear that <laughs> and just a little bit, and then you're going to hear me take the volume up just a smidge. <laughs> That's all right. But uh, we are diving into Psalm 77 um, today. This is a beautiful psalm because it's it's got a lot in it, and it's very practical, and it's something for us to live out and aspire to, and we will be healthier when we do. Um, and so it is a delight for me to, to walk you through this psalm. This psalm, 77, which is also in your bulletins, the, the words are there. It is written or transcribed by a person named Asaph. He's a temple singer. Um, he's a temple musician. He was one of the three Levites commissioned by King David to lead the people of God and singing at the tabernacle once the Ark of the Covenant was placed inside the tent of meeting the tabernacle. And he would help lead the people of God. We see this, this calling to do this by Asaph in 1 Chronicles chapter 6. We see David appoints a man named Heman the Ezraite. And then we also see him call Heman's brother Asaph to help be his right hand man in leading the people in musical worship for the whole Israelite nation. Asaph is also, because there's a couple in the scriptures, this Asaph is also the same Asaph who was singing and leading the people of God in worship when Solomon's temple was dedicated. And we see it in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. And this is important because he not only served King David, but he also sing, uh, served King Solomon. That's important to know because he's serving both kings under both tenures. He would have seen quite a bit this person who's writing, who's transcribing this psalm. Asaph would have seen wars, he would have seen peace, he would have seen prosperity. He would have seen visits from exotic queens coming to hear the wisdom of Solomon. He would have seen the transition even from the tabernacle, right, this tent, to this grand, beautiful building called the temple. He would have seen the building of the temple. He would have witnessed to this. He would have been witness to, in the kingly line, extreme family strife, great difficulties, death, beauty. He would have seen faithfulness of God doing all of his people, both really good and bad. That he would write a psalm like this in Psalm 77, a psalm of immense depth and complexity. And so, like we said last week, we were talking about all of the psalms as a brief introduction. We said that there were eight types or eight forms of Hebrew poetry in the book of Psalms. But this week, we get to kind of double dip into those eight forms, and we get to take a look at two of them, because Psalm 77 is kind of a hybrid psalm. The first half of Psalm 77 is a classic lament crying out, pouring out one's heart to God, whereas the last half shift gears quite a bit and it's a more of a remembrance psalm, recalling great acts of God, redeeming works of our great Lord and Savior. And so we have a psalm that helps us not only learn how to pray and sing with greater depth, honesty, and transparency, but it also teaches us how to move from tears of sorrow to tears of joy. It teaches us how to move from 
deep, honest laments about what's going on in our lives and our present circumstances forward, right, where we can trust the Lord in all of our circumstances, knowing that he can and he will answer our prayers and move and work in them for his glory, but also our deeper joy. But in order to taste this beautiful psalm, because it's got a lot of parts to it, we're going to break it down piece by piece, measure by measure, so that we can literally soak in and savor the beauty and the life-giving word of God in this psalm. And so we're going to look at four sections of this psalm. Verses 1 through 4, we're going to see this section is titled, Lamenting for the Glory of God. Second section that we're going to look at is verses 5 through 9. This one's titled, Asking Questions for the Glory of God. Third, we're going to look at verses 10 through 15. And this is going to be titled, A Shift Towards the Glory of God. And lastly, we're going to look at verses 16 through 20, titled, Remembering the Glory of God. And so that's the trajectory that we are on this morning. We're going to start low, all right? But we are going to move up and move up, 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 way high, like my son JJ says. He doesn't say hi. He says, we go up, up, way high, Daddy. And so that's where we're going to finish with this psalm because that's where Asaph and our Lord is taking us. Uh, before we dive in, let's just pray briefly um, that we would receive this and apply this. Pray with me now. Lord, we love you. We are so grateful for this psalm that it teaches us that we can communicate with you, that we can lament with you, that there is godly complaining, not blaming you, but godly complaining that things are not the way that they ought to be and we can express that to you. You receive it. You want us to talk to you about those things because we live in a hard world. There are great difficulties, Lord. We have broken bodies. Lord, we work in broken workplaces. We have come from broken homes. Lord, we live in a broken world. Life is hard. And we are so grateful that we can lament and express that and ask you hard questions why things are the way they are, why this is happening in my life. But you are also a God who says, I'm here for you. I love you. I've done great works to save my people in the past. I'm doing it for you now, and I'm going to do it for you in the future. Thank you for that beautiful truth we have in your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people say, amen. Well, C.S. Lewis, he writes in one of his books called The Weight of Glory, he says this. He says, we live in a world starved for solitude, starved for silence, and starved for privacy. And therefore, we are starved for meditation. Is it not coming through at all today? Let's try this. <laughs> oh, hey, you know what? Oftentimes when I'm preaching at churches, there's a, uh, there is an AV or a, uh, a, a demon who does not like technical and brings technical difficulties. And we're experiencing that today, right? A little, uh, have a little fun up here. So I'm going to try to not move and stay right here and project, all right? <laughs> Thank you for saying that, Eva. I appreciate your help. Uh, so let me read that quote to you again. C.S. Lewis quote from The Way of Glory. We live in a world starved for solitude silence and privacy and therefore we are starved for meditation and C.S. Lewis he, he wrote these words and he's, he spoke these words first at Oxford University Church St. Mary the Virgin 
on June 8th in 1941, and then he wrote these words down in book form in 1949. This is a time and age when they did not have personal computers, smartphones, text messaging, right? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, AOL Instant Messenger for those who remember that, Netscape Navigator for those who remember, Super Nintendo, Sega, or even Atari. They had none of these things, all right? They barely had color TV, Scrabble, and microwaves when C.S. Lewis is writing this. So imagine what he might say today with all the things we have to distract our lives when he says this quote, that we live in a world starved for solitude, silence, and privacy, and therefore are starved for meditation. That couldn't be more true today. And I think because it's true, I think we often fail to emulate the beautiful rhythm of this psalm. I think many of us have often lost the capacity to go from lament to trusting in God to even possible joy and hope in God in one sitting and one time period, right? Where we're processing our circumstances and who God is and praying through them saying, Lord, use this for your glory. Some of us can maybe do this, but a lot of us fail to this, to do this, to, to enter into it, or even struggle to do this in one sitting. We live in a day and age where we are constantly bombarded with information, right? Marketing ploys, commercials, ads, tweets, emails, the constant buzzing, right? And our, our legs, right? Where moments of silence are going the way of the buffalo and where our younger generation almost feel weird entering into times of silence. But what if that wasn't true of us, true of our lives? Now I know that we can't radically just change the culture just like that, but what if we, us, what if we lived a little differently, spent our time and energy maybe a little differently, put our phones on silent in the evenings a little bit more frequently, or what if we practiced maybe being even silent and some of our days or some of our evenings or the weekends without the advances of technology a little more frequently? What if we began to slow down from time to time to actually take a few moments to process how we're doing, how we're feeling, and what's going on in our lives, and praying about it with God and sifting through His Scripture, saying, Lord, speak to me. Just give me some good words of encouragement to help me process my life. What if we did that? a little bit more from time to time. I think we might be a little better informed about what's really true and what's really good and how, with the hope that we really have. I think we might be a little bit more matured and a little bit more seasoned because we're being nurtured and, and filtered and refined by the Word of God. And, but I think we also might be a little more expressive as well about the things that ought not be but are in our lives if we took a little bit more time. We have broken bodies. We live in a broken world. We need to process these things. The scripture, Psalm 77, is calling us to process these things. How might our minds be a little bit more weightless, a little bit more free, a little less guilt-stricken? How we might be a little less emotionally caged or stressed? How might maybe even our responses, right, to how are you doing today, might be maybe more reflective of actually how we are doing because we've been still long enough to actually know maybe how we are actually doing. Life is hard. I don't have to tell you that. But most of us are usually not fine during our days. 
but we respond that way. Life is not fair, and rarely is it equitable. So how are you dealing with that, processing that, and to whom are you dealing with that and processing that with? Do you just stuff these things in your life, or do you just keep busy, just going and going, and, and, and because you don't know another way, and you don't know how to deal with it? Thankfully, Asaph leads us towards greater emotional and spiritual health by directing us through this lament. He says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearing. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open, Lord. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. The psalmist says, In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. But he says in verse 3, When I remember the Lord, I moan and I meditate. My spirit faints. Why does he moan and his spirit faints? It's because when he thinks about what's going on in his life and the, the great difficulty that he's under as he's writing this, and the fact that God could change his circumstances, he groans at the fact that it's not happening. He's frustrated that he knows God can do something, but for whatever reason, in his higher ways, and his greater means, things aren't changing as fast as he wants them to change. We don't know the specific context in which Asaph is referring to about his life, but we know he's going through great difficulties, great, just maybe tragic circumstances, or maybe even man. Not just a few, but a lot of people. Major, they did not have modern medicines, modern methods of pain management, modern transportation, grocery stores, right? Modern conveniences, nor modern modes of communication to make sure loved ones are okay. We don't know what the situation was, but we know he's suffering. He's going through difficulty. Willed it so. For an unknown reason, God is not changing his circumstances. And therefore, he groans when he thinks about the omnipotence, the great mighty power of God, and what God could do, currently isn't, for his reason and his ways. And so he's frustrated, and he's writing lyrics, godly complaining. This is not grumbling blaming God or saying, God, it's your fault. Rather, he is expressing to God that this ought not be in my life. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. And he's right to do this because post-Genesis 3, life is not as it should have been. It's messed up. It's hard. It's difficult. There are a lot of atrocities that should never be but are, that God did not intend these things to be. God did not create the world or us broken. Adam and Eve broke it, and we've inherited that brokenness, and we break it even more ourselves, engaging in sin, engaging in things that are self-centered. So this lament is on par with Asaph's reality, with the reality of the world and even the Israelite nation, as well as our lives and what Scripture says of this world post-Genesis 3. And so this lament is good 
and it's realizing things are not as they should be. I appreciate this honesty. I appreciate this, this God-ordained and God-breathed, just this section of verses, because it's teaching me that God wants me to express my laments and things going on in my life to him, to express to him the things that ought not be, things that should have never been but yet are, and he wants to hear about them because he cares about me and he's a God who listens and God who loves. Things like, for me, growing up in a confusing home as a pastor's kid, having maybe even a manipulative church that I had to go to for many years, having a broken body, being born with sepsis, having deteriorating body parts and even organs and the litany of, of surgeries and things I've been through even at a young age. And on top of that, there's just daily hardships. Um, being a pastor, caring for folks young and old. Um, it's not always easy. And so this is breathing life even into me as it should to all of us because the Lord is saying, Jeff, sit down. Talk to me. I understand. I'm here to listen. I need that. I know you need that. We all do. Because the voice of our great shepherd is saying, I want to lead you towards greener pastures, still waters to refresh your soul, even during dry seasons and times of drought in your life. But heed my voice. And his voice right now is saying it's okay to lament and to be human because things are not as they ought to be. But we would be amiss if that's, we thought that's all there is to meditation. Because Asaph reveals the art of godly meditation continues with through heartfelt questions. We see this in verses 5 through 9. The psalmist continues his lament saying, I consider the days of old, the years long ago, I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? This is Selah, which is a musical interlude. Asaph is singing to God and asking him, Lord, why have you forgotten your servant? I, who professionally lead your people in musical worship week after week, this is my job. I don't feel your presence. Do you no longer love me, Lord? You're omnipresent, yet I do not see your presence and your fingerprints in my life. Are your covenantal promises of eternal grace, security, and compassion towards me no longer true? He's asking. He's saying, Have, has my habitual sin closed off your compassion to me, Lord? Has it spurned your anger? What is it, Lord? Because your silence is deafening in my life. These are questions coming from a man who's in the midst of breaking down. He's going through something pretty awful, feeling abandoned, feeling like God is nowhere to be seen. He's a man who's, who's obviously known the presence of God, but right now he feels his stinging absence. And Asaph is showing us that God invites us to be honest with him and to dive deeper into our relationship with him by asking hard questions about some of the things going on in our lives that ought not to be and sometimes don't make sense. That we can bring these things to him. And ask him, Lord, what's going on? How can these things be used for your glory? Why are you bringing them about? How can I worship you through them? This is hard. What's going on, Lord? 
It's not as if he's not aware of what's going on. He's omniscient, all-knowing. He knows what's going on in our lives more intimately than we do. But he calls us to ask him anyway. And asking implies that we are taking a step of faith to believe that there is a God who hears and that he can and will answer. Because why ask if it's futile, if he's not there? You see, the heartfelt questions that we're asking God, they set God up in a glorious manner in which he is able in his time and in his ways to reveal his glory to us because our questions both express and affirm the reality of our situation, but they rest upon and look to our God who is divine, who is gracious. We look for hope, for change, for growth, for healing and for maturity in him and through him And so these questions are looking to him to act on our behalf, to move in real ways where we taste and see that he is good. Biblical meditation isn't only thinking about our circumstances, but it's also asking God personal questions, deep questions, searching our hearts, the psalmist says, connecting the head and the heart together, our biblical theology to our present reality. That's what God is after, not just head knowledge, And that's what Asaph is after as well. The Christian life isn't just knowing about the truth of God. It's also knowing the truth giver himself and tasting and see that he is good. And it's living in light of his truth in every season, whether it's beautiful and great or whether it's dry and hard and we feel parched. Asaph is telling us that God does not give us pat responses. He says move in our hearts in real ways, but we need to come also to him honestly, transparently with what's going on so that our prayers float upward. There is a God in heaven who hears and who delights in responding. So he's saying, in and through your circumstances, talk to him about what's going on. Commune with him, lest we miss the reason this lament is even considered as divine revelation, the scripture of God, which it is lest we miss the beauty and purpose and the life that we could gain from this text. Because we want to be, as Psalm 1 said, trees planted by streams of living water, weathering well when droughts come. Because spiritual droughts, emotional droughts, dry seasons, they will come. But when they come, we can prepare ourselves. We can appeal to the past to be our ever-present help and our time right now, and also for our future help, looking to the Lord. We can look to the past to see God's faithfulness, saying He's the same God then, we will be the same God today and tomorrow. And we can appeal to the truth of God to help us work through our laments and our questions. And that's what Asaph does in verses 10 through 15. We see a shift to the glory of God. One from lament, one from questions, but now a shift saying, God, you can move in and through my circumstances. And he says this in verse 10. I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old, Lord. I will ponder all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. With your arm, you have redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. 
just as lawyers appeal right to sometimes former cases and former rulings to set a precedent in their current case likewise asaph is appealing to the former miracles and redeeming acts of god in the book of exodus in order to remind himself in his own heart that his current circumstances and his situation and his hardships are not hopeless and that God can and will do mighty works in and through them even if he doesn't see it right now because God's done it for his people in the past. He'll do it for me now. Asaph is arguing against his own heart and his own feelings of abandonment. He's feeling one way but he's forcing the truth of Scripture deep down to say, you know what? God is doing something maybe that I don't see. Maybe something deeper and bigger, more beautiful than I can imagine. He's done it in the past. He's the same God today and will be tomorrow. Maybe he's doing something like that in my life in and through me for a greater reason, a greater purpose. He's looking backwards so that he can now move forward. And if I'm honest about even my walk with the Lord this is often the place that I stop. This is hard work. This is more work than just like godly complaining and asking God hard questions. This takes now diving into the scriptures a little bit. And it takes a little bit of time to pray, to process what's going on with biblical truth, with God. And saying, Lord, I don't see it, but I know you can do it. So that we might overturn our heart's ruling and judgment that this is hopeless. Because it's not. We must not simply resort to our own coping mechanisms and numbing ourselves with the daily things that we do when we go through hardships. This scripture is saying, let's get beyond that. Right? Because oftentimes many of us cope you know, with life or numb ourselves with different things when we're going through hardships. Some of it's texting friends and family constantly. Some of it's diving into lots of food or drinks or TV watching or Netflix binging or cleaning incessantly or Facebook scrolling, tweeting, responding to endless emails after work hours. Or maybe it's keeping up to date constantly with the craziness that's coming out of the White House. We do different things to cope with the craziness and the things that ought not to be in our life. And this psalm is saying, let's take a break from that and let's do something deeper. Let's meditate on the word of God and our circumstances and let God move. Looking to the past, being reminded and moving forward that God can and will work in and through our situations. Because God is good and his character does not change. Romans 8.28 is a beautiful passage. That God works all things that Satan uses for evil. He can use them for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. Because we have a God who takes what Satan uses for evil and he can make it good and beautiful and he uses it and he delights to do that. And that's what he can do in our present circumstances. But we have to take usually a chill pill to actually accept that and to receive that as truth and to let that change us in our daily lives. I have to remember this from time to time, even with RUF and the campus ministry that I do, because there's times where I go through something difficult where there might be a significant amount of even funds that I have to raise for our ministry. And I have to look back to the faithfulness of God in the past and say that God is the same God today. Even though we might go through difficulty, He's going to provide. He's going to be there for me. Now, there may be anxiety and stress, but you know what? The Lord has been there before. There was a month uh, last year where 
we were at the end of the year and we needed to raise an extra $5,000 just to kind of end, um, have a healthy um, account and a budget for the ministry that we do at Christopher Newport. And we needed about $5,000. And um, let me tell you, that stress and anxiety was pretty real at that point in time in my life. So imagine if you've ever felt financial stress or anxiety. And um, I had to do exactly this, this psalm. And remember also, too, God's provided for his people in the past. But you know what also he's provided for me personally, also in my own ministry in the past as well. And when I recounted that I was appealing to my own heart, I feel like God doesn't care right now and he's not present. But he's doing something greater. He cares about his people. He cares about this ministry. He cares about me. He'll provide. I don't know how. But he's good because he's the same God. Later on that month, somebody had donated a check for $5,000. I did not say that I needed that amount. But the Lord knew. And he provided in his ways and in his time. And man, that was beautiful. I said, thank you, Lord, for doing that and encouraging me and building up me and sustaining this ministry that's really yours. But even when things like that don't happen right away, God is still faithful, He's still at work, doing a greater work, maybe on a longer journey. And we need to trust that. Do you think Moses, when he's leading the Israelites out of Egypt, knowing that Pharaoh was chasing behind them with his army, do you, do you thought that, hey, you know what? This is good news that we got let out. I've got all these people, men, women, children, infants, older folks. They're carrying all their stuff. It's not like they have modern transportation. And great news. We are headed towards the Red Sea where we are going to be pinned against the sea and have nowhere to go. Great. This is good stuff. Thank you, Lord. I'm sure he was thinking, Lord, what are you doing He's probably recounting the faithfulness of God in the past, saying, Lord, you've done mighty things. Also, just like those, you know, ten plagues you just sent. So that was also probably a helpful reminder for him. I'm sure Moses and Aaron are like, what's going on? But God knew what he was doing. He was going to do something beautiful and mighty through this difficulty, through this unforeseen circumstance. And God was going to be at work. Just listen to the crescendo of this psalm in verse 16. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, they trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses. And Aaron, last two verses say, your way was through the sea, your footprints were unseen. But yet you, God, led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Meaning he never left them at all. Even when the people of God felt like he abandoned them because they were enslaved for over 400 years, right? By misplaced fear of Pharaoh that they were growing in number. When they probably were really fearful being pinned against the sea, knowing that they have an army coming to destroy them, men, women, and children. They have nowhere to go because they're also in the desert. I'm sure they felt like God had forgotten them. He was nowhere to be seen. But when it was the right time, the Lord saved his people from certain death and redeemed them and cared for them. And this is the truth of God, which Asaph is turning to for hope in his situation, that this is the same God who's the God of his present reality too. We're calling God's faithfulness, appealing to his heart that God cares for him in his circumstances and what he's going through. 
This is helpful because we need not fear as much as we do the circumstances that we go through in this life. Because we have a God who controls the wind, the waves, the lightning, and even armies and nations. And his disposition to those who love him and love his son, Jesus Christ, is favorable. Meaning he has great favor for you and loves you. And that favor is so because on the cross of Calvary, God did a greater exodus through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Fulfilling what Moses and Aaron and their exodus foreshadowed. Not the liberation of God's people simply socially and politically in their bondage, but even greater on the cross did he save all of God's people for all time from sin and death itself, from hopelessness of our circumstances. And when we meditate on the miracles of God, that his eternal favor rests upon us, not because we've done anything good, but because of what Jesus has done, we can then say, even if we struggle to say, yes, Lord, you can take what Satan means for evil, like you did when he killed Jesus, but yet you used it as the greatest triumph for all time. You can use what Satan means for evil and the harshness of life now for your glory and my greater good. I may not see it. Your footprints may be unseen, but I know you're at work because I've seen it in the past. I know you'll be here now and I know you'll be in the future because you're a God who doesn't change. Your character is forevermore faithfully ours. I'm ending with this. Your way was through the sea, Lord. Your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You, Lord, led your people like a flock by the hand of a greater Moses, a greater Aaron, and you led your people. You lead them now and you're going to lead them forevermore because you tell us in the end of Matthew that you are with us. You have poured out your Holy Spirit to be with us till the end of the age. Amen? Amen. He's here with us now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us the freedom to lament, to be human and honest about our circumstances, that you want us to cry them out. Thank you, Lord, that you allow us to ask you hard, deep questions, Lord, honest questions about what's going on, and that you receive them and you're not flustered and frustrated by them, that we can come to you. But Lord, we also thank you for your great redeeming works that you've done in the past, in the scriptures, in the lives of this church, Lord, of us individually, and that we can recall then that you are faithful to the end of the age and that you are coming back one day, Lord, to redeem all that we broke. You are a faithful God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this psalm. Help us to meditate, to slow down, and when we go through hard times, to remind ourselves that you are with us no matter how we feel. The truth is, is that you have never left us and you never will. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much. And all God's people pray. Amen.